it's me, Katie Quinn, of the YouTube channel QKatie. I'm a producer, videographer, video host, and cookbook author, and welcome to Keep It Quirky, a podcast where I talk with creatives and entrepreneurs about food and travel, inspiration, and the discipline and drive to create. Passion begets passion, so let's jump on in into today's episode. This episode is an interview with Graham Garvey. He's a co-founder of Bring Your Own Story. It's a supper club that puts the emphasis on the human connection that just happens to occur over the dinner table. Uh, Highlights of the episode include how he forms community, both in his business and personally, and really they're one in the same for Graham, how he gets out of his head and the importance of staying curious. He and I discuss how we all have a lot more in common than we might think. We talk about the act of eating together and how that facilitates connection and how the stories we have to tell are stories we've created. Thank you for listening now. My gosh, like a good few episodes in. Thank you for sticking with me if you've been around from the beginning. If this is your first episode, welcome. I really hope you like it. I have to say that um, in recording these episodes and then posting them. I'm not posting them chronologically. So I'm enough of a producer mind that I wanted to get all of these interviews in the bucket and then release them in a way that made sense narratively to me. I want everyone listening to this podcast to really walk away with something. Um, And that's up to you what it is that you walk away with. I have an idea of what I want you to walk away with. And so I am releasing these episodes in a way that makes sense to me. So the last episode with Phil Juma, I had pretty good audio. I think I think I've kind of starting to get this audio thing down. It's very different than video. But this episode, as you'll hear, is a little bit of a backtrack in terms of audio quality because it's the initial setup I had. Um, And I was considering asking Graham if he wanted to re-record, but you know what? I loved our conversation so much and the audio is not that bad. And just trust me and know that um, from here on out, the audio quality will be better. You know, it's really fun for me to go back and edit these episodes. I had this conversation with Graham back in January. So that was like three months ago now. January was the month that I didn't post on my YouTube channel. (gasps) gasp for the first time in like four years. I took a month long hiatus and um, I decided to just work on this passion project, um, recording these interviews with really inspiring creators. And so listening back to this episode, I was like, I just am enjoying re-listening to the conversation so much. So selfishly, I'm getting a lot of enjoyment and, and I'm learning myself from like hearing these people talk about what they do and why they do it and their struggles. And it's just been such a fun thing for me. So um, I hope that you're getting something out of it too. And I'm really excited to say that for the next handful of episodes, I've just secured a sponsor. So this is like big stuff and um, really, really excited. Again, hope you guys are loving it. Please let me know. Let me know your thoughts. Um, Twitter at QKatie, Instagram at at Q Katie. <laughs> and feel free to shoot me an email, keep it quirky podcast at gmail.com. I'd really love to hear from you all and let's keep these conversations going. As I've mentioned before on my YouTube channel and Facebook videos, I get immediate responses, right? I get the view count right away. I get comments, I get likes, I get all kinds of engagement. And for the podcast, like I just really want to know what you guys are thinking. So please let me know. Um, speaking of my videos, yesterday 
yesterday I had a shoot at a Chinese restaurant here in London called Hutong, and I did a recipe video with the chef Fei Wang, who is Chinese. He is from Chengdu, and he does not speak English, um, but he's such, he's so sweet and he's so talented. And we had an amazing interpreter, her name was Grace, who was just on it and like super into the food and super into how much I love the food and like I was telling her all about my recent trip to China and everything I ate and she was like just so much more than an interpreter. I feel like she was the holder of my passions on one end and then Chef Faye's passions on the other end and just like smashing them together in a really beautiful way. We had a great time in the kitchen and I'm really looking forward to publishing that video. So it's going to be kind of a combination of the amazing adventures we had all around China. And then also um, that recipe for red star noodles, which is a Sichuan dish. So nice and spicy. That'll be up on my YouTube channel soon. And you know, something that I was thinking a lot about during this shoot was a recent episode I saw of Ugly Delicious. If you guys aren't familiar, you should definitely check it out on Netflix. It's David Chang's new series on Netflix, and it is so good. I've pretty much binge watched it um, when it was the last episode. I was like, what? What? There's no more? Like, I, I need more of this. It's so great. It's like culture and food and quirkiness. And it's just like fun. And David Chang is really great. I have a lot of respect for the guy. I mean, not just for what he's created with his restaurants in New York, which I'm a big fan of. When I lived in New York, I went to Momofuku Noodle Bar on the regular and took guests there whenever they visited New York. But I mean, really, it just his whole food ethos is I have a lot of respect for it. I think it's fantastic. So he's Korean American and he went to culinary school and talks about for a long time how he thought the only food that was worthy of respect and worth getting serious about was French cuisine. And that's what he studied. He kind of his journey, his evolution into embracing the food that he grew up with, his mom's home cooking, this Korean food that his mom makes looks amazing. She's in a few of the episodes and I'm like, dude, David, I'm super jealous. My mom is an amazing cook, but growing up, <laughs> the things that come to mind are like the really typical Midwestern dishes. Like we had company casserole, which is like macaroni noodles, sour cream, ground beef, cream cheese. Like I think that like what? And my mom now too, she'll be like, oh my God, we thought we were, we thought we were feeding you guys so well. Like we thought we were ticking off all of the nutritional boxes. <laughs> it's funny how far we've come, isn't it? Anyway, I'm getting off topic. Ugly Delicious is a really good series. I highly recommend you check it out. And one of the points he made in, um, I believe it was the fried rice episode. He was talking about all of the different regions of China and all their different cuisines. And, oh, he was, it was an interview with Fuchsia Dunlop, who is, I think this is like the second time I've mentioned her name in this podcast now, but she's this incredible writer. She's British, but she lives in China and she's 
totally fluent in Mandarin and has written all kinds of amazing cookbooks and books about her experiences eating in China and um, kind of just falling in love with the cuisine. Anyway, she talks about how as Westerners, we say, oh, Chinese food. And we usually think of a couple things like General Tso's chicken, fried egg rolls, but that there is so much more to it. I mean, that is American Chinese food, first of all. Second of all, China is a huge place. And within this massive country, there are so many different kinds of food. It's going from coastal to mountainous to freezing cold to really hot. You just can't put it in like a simple bucket, like calling it Chinese food. But hilariously, a lot of Chinese people will just say Western food. Like they'll put all Western food in one bucket, which is to us or to me anyway, is hilarious, right? Because we're like, what? Okay, hold on. There's Italian food and that in and of itself, I mean, Northern Italian from Southern Italian right there. There are so many differences. There's French food. I mean, German food, American food. It's all so different and distinct. So I think we can all just learn a lot from learning. <laughs> we can all like do a little more due diligence in in getting a deeper dive into some of these foods and therefore cultures, right? Because food is such an incredible reflection of a culture. And this past weekend, the long holiday weekend over Easter, um, both Friday and Monday here in London are bank holidays, which feels like quite the luxury to us Americans. Um, so we took a little trip, a little getaway. We went to the Cotswolds, which is just a couple hours outside of London. I basically felt like I was in a Jane Austen novel the entire weekend. It was awesome. We took long meandering walks around the English countryside and there are actual public pathways public footpaths and there will be little signs indicating where to go. But for the most part, you like follow a map and you kind of take your best guess. You are literally in the middle of someone's field. There are lambs about, which by the way, felt perfect for the beginning of spring. Horses, cows, like it was so country. It was also pretty darn rainy. Uh, and, you know, Connor and I were prepared. We had our rain jackets. We had our hiking boots. But we got really muddy, really muddy. And um, you know what, though? It did. It was still incredible. It did not take away from the experience of being in the Cotswolds. And um, I can only imagine how epic it is in the summertime. But we had such a fantastic time regardless, because then you know what we would do after our kind of cold, muddy hike, we would curl up next to a fireplace in a cozy pub and get roast or get, obviously we would get pines. <laughs> it was just such a good trip. Got to make it back to the Cotswolds ASAP. Um, what else? Okay. I think that you guys are really going to enjoy this conversation. Graham is super cool. There is one point uh, towards the beginning of the interview where he talks about improv and kind of some basic tenets of improv or that you learn in an improv class. And it took me back to an improv class that I took in New York City at UCB, which is the Upright Citizens Brigade. And I took Improv 101. And I took it with a friend and co-worker at the time, Cyrus. Hi, Cyrus, if you're listening. He and I were both video hosts for this video news startup we worked at called Now This. It's still around. They do fantastic stuff. But we were there like when it launched. So this was this was a startup like really in its kind of infant phase. <laughs> but we were these like 
young, passionate video journalist, basically. And we wanted to learn how to better present. And someone who we worked with suggested that we enroll in an improv class and work would pay for it. So like, hey, why not? Right. And it was just so awesome. If you've ever considered doing it, I really recommend that you enroll in an improv class, not because you want to be an improv artist, not because you're trying to like make it on SNL, just because it helps, I think, or anyway, I'll speak to my experience. It helped me think more in the present and act on my feet and have confidence in my ability to respond in the moment without, you know, thinking of like a master strategy or game plan or something like that. And so therefore, I think it's made me a better conversationalist, which brings us to what I'm loving doing so much right now, which is these podcasts. And so here is my interview with Graham Garvey. Hey, 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 Graham. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. The name of this podcast is Keep It Quirky because that is my slogan, right? About life in general, that it's more enjoyable if you don't take yourself so seriously all the time necessarily. And you can actually be more productive and more creative if you just lighten up a bit. <laughs> I tell this to myself. Graham, how do you keep it quirky? The first time I went to Burning Man and heard about kind of the concept of play amongst adults, I, I think... It does a lot to lighten myself up. So random examples in no particular order. I don't know if you've ever seen the silly walking uh, sketch from Monty Python. Basically, you walk as if your legs are kind of out of your control. You just look wild and absurd. Well, I think just being goofy with my friends and, and creating spaces where we feel safe enough to be really goofy, right? When you're not judged, when you're not worried about when someone's gonna think. Um, even if it's just walking kind of like a wacko is really fun. Um, I also think through improv and bringing those principles of improv, like saying yes and, you know, just listening actively, building on what the other person has to offer is really fun. I also have a bad habit of just walking by shops and going inside, like just to see what's... what's Just to explore. Yeah, I have no intention of buying anything. I'm sure they love it. No, I think that's excellent though, because maintaining curiosity yes like kind of makes life more interesting i agree so you briefly mentioned the rules of improv and yes and and so for anyone listening who is not familiar with like yes and can you kind of flesh that out a bit more yeah the idea is just to listen to your partner however you're you're in an improv scene with and i think it's really relevant to life as well and rather than thinking while they're talking just actually just listening to them and then starting your response from a positive place where you build on what they're saying, and people will often do it literally with yes. And I also want to order a baguette. So right. let's do like let's do a little example. <laughs> let's okay. do it. So Graham and I are just pretend here with us, everyone, that we are in an improv class right now, and we have been um, put up in front of the class to act out a scene about baguettes. 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 Yeah. So we are in Paris. We're in Paris. And what else, Graham? What else are we doing? Uh, we are having a picnic. Okay. Right? Okay. Yeah. You do, are you at the picnic with me? Yes, I'm right. there with you. And it starts to rain. Okay. Yeah, not great. No, no, no good. Okay, so, oh my God, it's starting to rain. Graham, did you bring an umbrella? Yeah, I did. I did. But it has this hole in it, uh, right in the middle of it. Oh, shit, the water's getting through. Your bree's getting all runny. Oh, oh, well, you know, it's okay because I, I've heard that runny brie is, is like the new trendy culinary thing. Perfect. Here, let's spread it around these olives. Oh my god. It's they're swimming together now. Oh wait, now I think a little too much water might be coming in through the umbrella. Do you have like a I don't know, something to put over it? I have a bucket. Um how about we 
use this bucket, this industrial strength cement bucket I just found and borrowed from the, this worker by the riverbank. <laughs> and scene. Uh, <laughs> So, uh, yeah, so as you could tell, we never like knocked, knocked each other down with an idea. So when I said, do you have an umbrella? He didn't say, oh no, I don't have an umbrella. Because hmm. <laughs> then the scene ends yeah. rapidly. And I had no idea where it was going, but I didn't, I knew not to care. And I knew just to listen and then to take what you gave me and then to respond like in real time. But that's scary because we think we won't have anything to say. And so when I try to apply that, like, you know, in a hosting a dinner party, for example, you as a host, for example, you always want this. You are, I can feel this pressure to make sure everyone's having fun, make sure everyone's got enough to eat and drink. But actually, I think if you just when I just take a deep breath and sit back and pause and allow people to be adults, it gets a lot easier. Absolutely. I mean, it is kind of cool that like improv the the like basic tenets of improv they just make sense throughout the rest of life yes and applicable throughout life absolutely okay so supper clubs bring your own story also called byos has bi-weekly private storytelling dinners how many cities are included now so the first 300 dinners we did we did super opportunistically basically to start you back from the beginning i had one dinner in chicago to get my friends to stop talking about work and how cold it was and at the end of that dinner um somebody raised their hand and said, can I host the next one? And said, sure. Didn't know there would be a next one. I just wanted to have people over and not talk about kind of the three W's of small talk, work, the weather, and the weekend, which I think are really surface level and keep us from connecting. So since then, we've done them in probably 25 cities. But what we found is that what people really want is a sense of community and belonging. They want to be able to come back. They want to meet the other people that have been to dinners. So we've just shifted the approach to now do them in the cities where we have the biggest communities, New York, San Francisco, and London, and to do it in more of a curated and connected way where people actually apply to join BYOS and then are a member of a community where there's a dinner every other Friday. We'll scale up how frequently we do them and we'll grow into new communities like Berlin and Atlanta and Boulder, Paris, when they get to a certain critical mass. I think it's so interesting how BYOS is evolving as as the company forms more about like what it what it's all about. Yeah, we've tried to stay lean and listen and and run little experiments um, all along the way. Who are the guests at BYOS? The guests you can think about as kind of friends of friends of friends. So people you don't know but are probably like minded. Um, people that live in your city, maybe even in your neighborhood, but you might not meet through work or on Bumble. And um, I think when you come together with those people and, and share true personal stories, though, you realize how much you have in common and also like our incredible differences too. the different mindsets we have, different ways we approach problems, but that we have a lot more in common than than we than we might think. Right. And the differences are good in, in just adding layers and learning more about each other and about yourself. Um, I definitely experienced that when I went to a BYOS event um, a handful of months ago. And I, I had such a great time, such a great experience. For anyone who has not been to a BYOS event, um, walk us through what happens. Before you arrive, you sign up online on bringonstory.com. You pick a dinner based on the date and the theme. And the theme could be something like happiness or rivalry or change, even other stuff like sex and God. You know, we kind of go all over the place with the themes, whatever the host wants. Then when you get there, it's just like a dinner party at first. So you walk in, 
host in their house, pours you a glass of wine, take your shoes off, you meet the other people there. We're talking six to 10 people in total. Make some chat, have some small, small bites, and then sit down to eat. And after you're kind of mostly done with the first course, the host will introduce BYOS, especially for those who it's their first dinner, and then start storytelling. So the host goes first, takes the pressure off people that might be feeling a little anxious. We all do. And shares a five to eight minute story, true, personal, uh, non-work related story. And we ask people to tell stories they don't tell often. And so at that point in time, the dinner transforms because it goes from this really dinner party that just with new people you haven't met yet to, I think, a more connected experience, one with really radical listening and radical empathy and vulnerability. People open up and that starts this waterfall effect of then when it's your turn, people often say, well, I had two stories in mind, a safe one and like a really personal one. I'll tell the personal one. (laughs) <laughs> By the end of dinner, people are you know, feeling much more connected to these quote-unquote strangers than they were three hours ago. And I think it's through listening and storytelling. Do you have any anecdotes from any of the events that you've held of, that are like particularly touching? Or Yeah, sure. And so we always keep the stories anonymized. So what's shared there stays there. It's never tied to your name. But you know, people leave dinner and go to brunch the next day with their friends and they have to talk about this stuff, right? Because it's just, it is pretty, pretty powerful. Um, one that comes to mind was, um, well, the first one we did, for example, I had been in school um, at Kellogg doing my MBA with, you know, these classmates. I just invited classmates to the first dinner and the first 20 we did were just for classmates. And I thought I knew them because we'd been in class for three months together. You know, we'd worked on projects, we'd even traveled together. Um, but when they, the group of eight came over and we did the theme transitions, I heard not about, you know, not all positive experiences. I think we created a more open space and I heard about kind of the, not just the Instagram perfect relationships, but the really heart wrenching breakup somebody had gone through. I knew somebody had a Korean background, but I heard about the time their parents fled the country and how they came poor to America. I heard about someone you know, leaving the world of consulting after an anxiety attack and not being able to go back to work for six months just because they couldn't build enough confidence. But like, you would never say that at the bar, right? You would never say that. And it wasn't all therapy. like It wasn't all deep stuff. We also heard hilarious stories, and um, it kind of rounds out. But that first time really did create an environment that I think is kind of addicting. Is that when you knew, I think I have something here? Like, this is special? That's when I knew that I was in way over my head. <laughs> I mean, we were sitting around on um, just kind of love seats and couches and hardly even had a dinner table um, eating cold Thai food. I mean, it was it, the first time it was just takeout from around the corner. And I knew I wanted to do it again. You know, I, I'd been to storytelling shows like The Moth um, and I'd been to great dinner parties. And I think the connection of the two over food in that almost ritualistic sense was, yeah, did, did really change, did really change me. People that attend dinners and, you know, have a good vibe, um, I asked if they can host and we, we go from there. And, and do you come up with all of the themes? So hosts pick the themes from five collections, light, medium, heavy, taboo, and quirky. So you got to throw a quirk in there, right? Of course. Of course. <laughs> so yeah, we know which one you'd be doing. Yeah. Right. <laughs> My favorite other things, back to the idea of being curious and being the person that just walks in the store. My favorite are the things I don't know that much about. So, like, I'm not a particularly religious person. So a dinner-themed God is going to be incredibly eye-opening to me. I don't have a space in London where I can go listen to people of different backgrounds talk about their personal experiences with that. You know, sex dinners, equally, like, personal and real. You know, for such a universal experience, obviously we don't talk about that very often, right, in these spaces. I also love, 
um, kind of the really banal themes, like we've done cars, but people have incredible stories that took place in cars or related to cars. And I imagine that it can really go either way in terms of like really serious, like I'm, I bet someone was in a car accident and we'll mm. talk about that or like really light, like, yeah. and kind of fun and playful. And this time I took my car to, to get fixed. And then I, the guy ended up asking me out on a date. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it can, I love that it can go any which way and there's no direction that's not um, fully accepted. Yeah, we always say um, this is the theme, but interpret broadly your story as your own. How many hosts do you have now? 60. And it's been a lot of fun to kind of, you know, help support that family. And there are people that, like myself, never really felt that comfortable hosting dinner parties, per se, especially not with the expectations to do it in a quote unquote adult or adulting way, right? Cold Thai food on a coffee table aka my first five dinners, not winning any awards. But we've learned along the way tips from people like yourself, people that know what they're doing, and also the little things that you can do to just kind of take some of that fear factor out and make it more approachable. You hit on something that I wanted to ask you about because this is a supper club that is not food focused. Like the emphasis of this supper club is not the food that everyone eats when they're together. It's about the connections that everyone has when they're together. And Mm -hmm. it's about the storytelling. But describe to me the importance that you see in the food or the act of eating together in what you do. I think it's pretty important. We've had um, organizations reach out and say, hey, we have this retreat. There'll be 50 of us. Could we do a BYOS? And we've tried it without food. It works, but there's not this same level of of connection all the time. And I think that's for a few reasons. When you go to a dinner party and you're, you're invited to help prepare the table or help chop the vegetables, I have a role to play now, right? Now I'm doing something or maybe I'm meeting someone through that experience. And when we actually share dishes, like share food, uh, we're, we're really bringing down the boundaries between us, even if it's just subconsciously. So then when we start sharing, I think we've already, already, you know, built some connection to one another. There's a reason I think humans have always done this around food, around dinners, around the fire. I think sitting in a circle in that space is it does touch us in, in a kind of a tribal deep way that I love reconnecting with because it's so easy to go to a restaurant in London, be half on, at the table present, half on Instagram, and kind of walk out without having really thought about the food, really thought about each other. And that's what we're trying to, I think, give people an alternative to. I think that's so awesome. And I think you're so right about the importance of sharing food over, and that it's such a human thing. It's such a universal human thing and, and that brings people together. Mm. So you are equal parts creative and businessman. That's how I see you. Thank you. As kind of like 50-50 business creative. How do you define yourself? I do think that as I've reflected on it, storyteller is a, a, a label or an identity I, I, I can lean into. I've always worked in consulting and I think it's consulting is helping people tell stories. More specifically, I've worked in, in branding, which is kind of storytelling for organizations, whether that be nonprofits or big, big corporations. Um, I definitely define myself as an artist, and it kind of irks me when people say they're not creative or they're not artistic. I grew up in a house where the dining room table was always covered in brown like drawing paper, and there was crayons and markers everywhere, and everybody could draw. We'd paper mache. That was just the environment. So I still have that at home, and it feels feels right for me. So I like, I like kind of those identities. They feel expressive. They feel curious. They feel safe to make mistakes. How do you get unstuck? When I'm stuck, it's because I'm too in my head. I'm an insecure overachiever type A who grew up as a people pleaser, right? So that sounds familiar. Yeah. <laughs> when I'm stuck, I'm in my head and I'm thinking about um, what other people want. 
And so getting unstuck is about getting into my body, whether that be at the gym, you know, or mostly at the gym these days, um, or in yoga and kind of just turning the thoughts off. Um, I've, I've dabbled in meditation, but I think, I think working out, doing something kinetic or active is just a, it's easier for me to get unstuck and definitely shifting, shifting my focus as well. Doing something else, going for a walk, calling a friend, you know, changing the topic of what I'm thinking about. I'll, my brain will figure it out in the background, right? When I'm in the shower and, and asleep. Um, but it does take some distance and does take, I think, getting more into my physical body rather than just playing in my thoughts. So you are currently um, doing BYOS as like a super baller side hustle, right? <laughs> Oh, I don't know about super baller, but it's definitely a side hustle. I, I keep a, I keep my nine to five right now. Yeah. So tell me about that decision to keep the nine to five when BYOS is growing so much. I mean, it's global and you've got 60 hosts. It's rolling so well. Um, tell me about the decision to not yet make it full time. Yeah, it's really interesting. I've learned through this process and meeting with other entrepreneurs, especially those that have grown similar businesses, that it's a misperception that entrepreneurs love risk and are really comfortable with risk. I think what I've learned in hearing through their experiences is that they're the best at managing risk and only taking on what you can handle and what you need to take on. So for example, you know, we're a pretty low cost business. Um, we have some costs online to operate the website, the platform, but we're not a tech company. We don't have to pay software engineers. So do we need to raise money right now? You know, we could, but that brings on another element of risk. Um, doing it full time places an expectation on it that we don't need to. And so I've actually learned to kind of step, st step by step, go into risk more rather than kind of dive in and say, okay, cool. Like I read entrepreneur magazine, I'm going to be a startup guy and just jump in. Cause it's not really the way it works. What would you tell someone who feels like they have a good idea? Like they have something almost like someone who has just had that first supper club that you had. Right. And you're like, Oh, this is something that could happen again. Um, and you know, they might even be thinking, Oh, I could turn this into something basically a budding entrepreneur. What would you tell them is the next step or where to put their head? A lot of the traditional advice I was given was coming in a business school environment from professors. And it was around making business plans and thinking about the economics and all that's good advice. But I think what I've learned in this process is actually just share the idea. So I feel, feel very lucky to have two co-founders, Christina and Denise. And they're the only reason that I've kind of overcome the low points emotionally for me in the journey because they've been at on a high point as I've been on a low and vice versa. This is the first, this is my third company, but the first I've shared in a real, really, really sharing way where, you know, it's as much their idea as it is mine. Um, they were at the first dinner. Christina was the first to raise her hand and say, can I host the next one? And that has, for me at least, you know, Myers-Briggs type ENFJ, um, a bit more emotive, needs to be around people. So everybody's different, obviously. But for me, I think, had it not been for Denise and Christina, this probably would have petered out when I got distracted by another big idea a year ago. So having um, partners that serve as rocks and mm. sources of inspiration and do you guys like brainstorm together and like come up with the or who who kind of takes the the lead when it comes to big decision making we try to share it i i do think i probably take the lead a little bit like i'll propose the idea and we can react to it um for me that's part of what's exciting about you know becoming a better leader is this is an opportunity to lean into that discomfort sometimes of 
being the one who's responsible and has ownership of something. Um, and that's of course where all the excitement is and like how, how I see myself, but also where a fear comes up when I'm proposing something for the first plan, you know, for the first time, something we haven't done before, you know, let's make an investor deck, right? Let's do an event for 50 people. Let's launch in Berlin. You know, it's all both exciting and, and there's fear around that. Where are your co-founders located? Christina actually just moved to London, oh, so not very far from where we are today. I'm yeah. going to have to meet her sometime. You'll meet her very soon. Yeah. yeah, yeah. In part that we can work on BYOS together, get a little office space, um, yeah, kind of set up uh, more official operations here. Fantastic. And Denise is living the good life in L.A. Where is Christine moving from? Uh, from New York. From New York. Yeah, she okay. was in New York for 10 years. So just recently, before Christine moved here, the three co-founders were in L.A., New York, and London. Yeah. I love that about where we are right now. Um in in industry and professional life that um that we can do that and that not all that much can change in my channel and my content from new york to london my dad put this in perspective for me um he's a well-traveled guy but he said you're so lucky that you can you know travel because when when he was my age commercial air travel like across the atlantic ocean just wasn't wasn't a thing right he's 70 and (laughs) <laughs> talk about something we take for granted. I mean, we can go on kayak.com right now and look at flights and find a deal or do something on miles or open a credit card and fly across. And from London, we can fly for like 10 pounds, depending oh, if we, if we, if we hit the timing, right? It's pretty good. Yeah. And we try to use as much, you know, vir- we use a lot of virtual tools, obviously to stay connected. So I'm a big fan of audio notes, as you know, on WhatsApp. Yes. Um, we do video meetings. We have one in an hour today where we'd all try to be in front of the computer so we can actually see each other. Um, because there is, even though we're dispersed and, um, you know, we can go see each other, or we can do this in a coordinated way because we have a shared vision. There's, there's really, there still is kind of nothing like being together, whether it's sharing food, sharing stories, kind of looking into someone's eyes, I think is, is nourishing and necessary. I completely agree. Um, and for anyone who wants to look someone in the eyes and tell their own story, how can people um, be a part of BYOS? So if you're in San Francisco, New York, or London, we're doing dinners every other Friday right now. We have a community we'd love for you to apply to join. So it's go to bringyourownstory.com and tell us about yourself. We look for people that are interesting and interested. To me, that's the, the kind of combination, the magic potion or alchemy of a great dinner party um, attendee and a great community member. So simple application there. And if you're not in one of those three cities, please let us know and join the wait list. We'd love to launch wherever you are soon once we get to the right right number of people. And if you just want to dip your toe, then follow them on Instagram at Bring Your Own Story. Uh, like them on Facebook, all that good jam. Um, I want to end with, um, I believe it's the BYOS slogan, and I love it, your we're too smart for small talk. There you go. <laughs> and I hope that that's what you're getting from this podcast every time a new episode comes. And uh, Graham, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. Any final words? Well, in the words of my co-founder, Christina, I think it really comes back to living a story-worthy life. So being curious, seeking adventure, being more playful, as we were talking about, because the stories we have to tell are the stories we've created. I think that's an epic place to end. Graham, thank you. See ya. Yeah, Graham's a super cool guy. All right, you guys, I hope that you enjoyed that interview. Again, tweet at me at QKD. Shoot me a note on Instagram at QKD. Keep it quirky. Podcast at gmail.com. I would love to hear your feedback. And this amazing theme song that you hear is by my brother, Brian Quinn. Funky Brian, based in Chicago, but travels all around the world doing his incredible music. 
thanks so much for the theme song, bro. And everyone, I will see you right back here next week. Until then, don't forget to keep it quirky. Bye.